0: Welcome to Australian Design Radio, a podcast that seeks to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. As part of that, we'd like to acknowledge traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognise their enduring connections to the land, knowledge and stories. I'm recording this on Gundagurra and Dharug country and I pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. I'm Matt Leach and I'm your host. And on this episode, I'm joined by co-host Stephanie Foti, a design academic from Western Sydney University. She's focused on design and visual communication and has been in the design industry for 10 years, teaching in it for four. Her teaching philosophy centers on creating dynamic classroom environments, delivering material grounded in design history and theory, but with a relevance to today's industry practice. She's also part of the reason for this change in ADR's format. I've been speaking to a number of people about wanting to do more for the industry, whether there was a way to pivot ADR to be more helpful. I need to also give a shout out to Joe Rocker, Creative Director at For The People and previous co-host of ADR. I don't get to talk to her often, but when I do, I always come away with a fresh outlook on an idea. She was the one who really challenged ADR to contribute to the industry discussion by asking and answering bigger questions. So if you've got a question about the industry that you want answered, drop us a line, come and co-host and let's see what we find out. So it was over a coffee that Steph and I were talking about design teaching, our love for it and how to make it better was here we mapped out this mini-series focused on what makes a great design teacher. Steph really wanted to talk to three teachers from different styles, and would see whether there was common themes. One of the first guests she suggested was Frankie Ratford from The Design Kids, but Steph was more interested in the designer boot camps that Frankie's been running. These boot camps are intimate, one-of-a-kind learning experiences where designers can work through their intensive, reflective program and map out what their future career might look like. Having Frankie on this episode was a perfect idea. Frankie's a long-time friend of the podcast and our first ever ADR guest, so it made absolute sense to have her back on for this episode that could be seen as a new number one. So enough chat from me, let's jump into this first episode of this mini-series about what makes a great design teacher. This part is normally where we go into a bunch of biographical material and we talk about who you are and why you got into design and studios or clients you've worked for, etc., etc. But for you, this is not your first time on ADR. In fact, you were our first guest ever. Yeah. So it seemed only right that because we were refreshing the whole style to have you back on first, the original gangster.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Matt. <laughs> so
0: we should start. With, where the hell are you?
1: Uh, I'm in Magnetic Island, which as no one knows, is 20 minutes off the coast of Townsville, which is four hours south of Cairns, or 18 hours north of Brisbane, you choose.
0: (laughs) So how did you end up on there? Because, I mean, I think most people remember that you were living the life in Byron Bay.
1: I was. uh, So I was in Byron uh, probably two years ago. Yeah, and I wanted to buy a house, so I couldn't afford to buy one in Byron because Leonardo DiCaprio (laughs) lives there now, so, you know, pretty wild. So I moved to the Gold Coast and bought an apartment and was there for a year. I was actually only there for three weeks um, before a developer bought my apartment from me for a much higher price, which was awesome. (laughs) Um, And then I, but I had to wait a year and a half for that to kind of go through. And then I went on a big Australian road trip just as my wings were clipped, so couldn't go overseas. So I just thought I'd drive counterclockwise around Australia. And yeah, ended up on Magnetic Island just for the night and really liked it. I saw this cute little A-frame for sale and I'm obsessed with <laughs> A-frames. And I just sold my um, Tassie shack. So I decided to move up to There's Magnetic There's so Island. much
0: to dig into um, there. So, yeah. so oh, my God. A- it's wild. A- a- frame, There's a lot going
1: on. <laughs> like,
0: why are you obsessed with A-frames?
1: Oh, my God. They're so cute. I can list where they all are. There's one in Byron on Mott Street. There's one in Fortescue, like, Wineglass Bay in Tassie. I can, like, list everywhere I've seen them. I just think <laughs> they're so architecturally beautiful. Right. And, yeah, this one was really cheap. It had been for sale for a year. No one wanted it and i just thought that it would make a really good airbnb so i moved here for three months to renovate it i think i was here for like three weeks and i was like yeah i'm not leaving so (laughs) the a-frame replaced the tassie design shack so i sold that and then i decided to stay so i bought myself a house up the road from the apartment money so i basically had all these projects and i've just consolidated down to magnetic island so um yeah so now i've got the airbnb a-frame i have a tiny shack do not be impressed it's like 50 square meters it's tiny it's little shack that's like falling down i love it it's perfect and yesterday i just closed a deal on a commercial building and we're starting a co-working space which is really exciting it's Oh my god!
0: you're going to yeah, become like the queen busy. of magnetic island
1: yeah i want to be the mayor <laughs> <laughs> i'm kidding i'm kidding so what, um yeah it's what important.
0: about it made you say okay i'm going to stay
1: I think I've always struggled. So I grew up in a forest in England and then I moved to Australia when I was 18 and I always lived in big cities to do design, to study, working at Frost. It was always around big cities. But I think my soul is happier in nature. But I, my design also makes me very happy. So I've always had this like trade-off that I didn't really know where I fit. And I think, yeah, I remember being swimming in the water here and I was having a chat with uh, this chick Lauren who teaches at JCU, the university in Townsville. And she's like, yeah, I can live in paradise and I can get a 20 minute ferry and I'm in a big city. And I was like, oh my God, this is it. And the great <laughs> thing about it is is the fact it is an island. So it's actually cut off. Uh, it's hard to get there. So it makes it so special as a place to live, but you can be in the city. I was in the city half an hour ago. I just got back. So yeah, I love that kind of um, crossover between the two and I just think like not being able to go overseas not being able to do all these things I want to do this felt like a new challenge for me I've never lived in far north Queensland I've never had to worry about cyclones or crocodiles (laughs) and yeah this just seems so exciting and it's so beautiful here like oh my god I can't wait for you to come up here it's so amazing just palm trees crystal water we're on the Great Barrier Reef there's like turtles, giant butterflies, like my friends here at the moment, and I said, what's the worst thing about Magnetic Island? She said, all the butterflies
2: keep landing on my face while I'm on my moped. <laughs> I
1: was like, this kind of sounds like paradise. No, I love it. I'm completely sold. Oh, so so yeah.
2: uh, So Frankie, Designers Bootcamp, the reason you're on this mini series, combining creativity and travel to expand your creative career. That sounds pretty awesome. Can you tell us a bit more about what that is?
1: Yes. So Genius Me started a travel company at the beginning of COVID. But the (laughs) backstory to that is uh, for Design Kids, I was doing a six-year road trip around the world. And part of that was interviewing creative directors, talking at conferences, running workshops, and going and seeing all the universities and talking to the lecturers. And the workshops are really, really interesting. So at one point, I had up to like 200 people in a workshop. It was like eight hours. And we basically just smash like how to get a job. So awesome. what should you put in your resume? How what are your strengths and weaknesses? What types of studios do you want to work at? Basically a full day of this kind of workshopping. And the students are insane. They just you know what, you know, 20 year olds are like. They're on their phones, they're distracted. <laughs> they would honestly sit there for For eight hours without blinking just staring at me like terrified like making (laughs) as many notes as possible i remember one of the last ones i did was uh, at central st martin's in london and i remember um getting the tube there and i was like these guys are just gonna think i'm an idiot like this is in my head this is basic information i don't think this is anything advanced i think they loved it the most Like so many people emailed me afterwards just saying, thank you. This has changed my whole perspective on the industry and like what to do. I feel so much like more confident about where I'm going and having a direction, all that kind of stuff. So the workshops were really great. Most of them were free. Sometimes the universities paid me or they'd like put me up for the night, but most of the time it was free. But for me, it was really sad because those 200 people I couldn't sit down I wanted to sit with each of them and be like who are you how can I help you um when you are outputting information like you're relying on them to kind of run with it whereas I wanted to kind of hold their hands and keep helping them but there's just too many people so that was the most efficient way of doing it yeah so um yeah the end of the six-year road trip I didn't want the Design Kids brand to be really australian based because i was going to be based in australia it was really important to me it stayed global so i was like how do we take the workshops and the idea of the brand being global without me traveling for another six years and so we kind of flipped it on its head so the idea was to take 20 people uh to an exotic location and rework their whole career in a week amazing it should be illegal it's way too (laughs) far So we, we actually started in 2019. So we did um, Sri Lanka was the first one. Oh, awesome. No big deal. Lol. Keep it easy. Sri Lanka was crazy. Then we did Bali. Then we did Portugal. And then we did Byron. Byron was a double class. That was wild. Yeah. Um, and then the following year we had eight booked. So we were in India on the trip middle of March as COVID was like blowing up. So, yeah, it was pretty crazy. <laughs> I think we were there seventh to the fourteenth, and on the eleventh, it was officially a pandemic. So we were kind of like, "Oh well, we're here. Let's just get this done." Um, and then we finished the course, and everyone flew home. But it took some people a week to get home. It was pretty nuts.
2: Thank God.
1: So, and then obviously we had to cancel all, I the, was gonna
0: say, all the future ones. You had Hawaii and Japan and Mexico as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we had. So I'd rented my room out in the Gold Coast and was planning to be away for another ten months ironically and japan was the next one and we were like we can't go to japan but we still thought we could run one in sydney so i rebuilt the entire event in sydney (laughs) i got all these amazing sydney design studios bless them thank you guys to come and teach some of the stuff just so it was more sexy than the japan trip which is pretty hard so we rebuilt the whole thing we resold all the tickets like this is in the space of like three days it was wild And then I got back, it took me three days to get home from India and I got home and I was like, this isn't happening. I need to call this as well. (laughs) So cancelled all of them and was just like, oh shit. Because I, like we didn't make the profit margins on each one is minimal. So like one event can't refund the other three events. So I came back to a huge amount of debt. Pretty heartbreaking. Yeah, I remember emailing them all saying you can either do it online or you can have refund." But if you want a refund, you need to give me a few months because, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I will pay you back. So, yeah, no, it was awesome.
2: So it's pretty amazing once everything opens up again and we're all back again, you could pretty much go anywhere. Are you hiring? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Everyone always says that. They're like, can I carry a bag? And <laughs> I famously don't have any bags. I only travel hand luggage. So, No, you can't carry my bag. (laughs) But yeah, I have a little team. So I have Lauren, who is Boston-born, based in Melbourne. So she does all the interviewing for me. She's an ex-boot camper. She's from Sri Lanka. I have uh, Laura is my photographer. I met her in Mexico City. She's from Melbourne. So she's involved in design kids as well. And Lily also came on the boot camp and I hired her and she books all the trips for me. So we have this cute little team that's already... Ex boot campers Amazing. bringing in more boot nice. campers. So I love that cycle. It feels really, really nice.
0: With that worldview in mind, do you think what you're teaching translates across the world or do you find yourself having to make adjustments?
1: I think I've only had one instance where I had to make an adjustment and it was in Portugal. There was a, it was in Porto, but we had a student from Lismore and we were talking about emails and reaching out to studios. And I basically gave them this template that's what I would say. So I would say, hey, Matt, super nice to meet you. My name's Frankie, blah, 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 blah. I love what you do. This is what I do. If you're interested, let me know. Like super, really casual, very Australian. Yeah. That was the key. It's very Australian. And she kind of called me up on it and said, that would be considered quite rude in Portugal. Oh, wow. um, it Great. would. You'd need to be much more formal. And I was like, wow, thank you for pulling me up on that. So now when I give advice, I say you have to... This has to be culturally appropriate from where you're from. I can give you advice. This is my history, plus everyone I've interviewed, plus me going to 75 cities and spending time with those designers. So that's where I'm pulling this advice from. But if you think it is not relevant in your city, take it with a pinch of salt. So, yeah, you have to kind of tread lightly. But it is interesting things that are similar and the things that are different. Uh, I definitely have learned that along the way. I did make another faux pas actually in, um, in Cape Town. I gave this talk and everyone was like loving it. And they I could see they're all so excited. And I was like, guys running this workshop at the weekend, it's 650 Rand, which is like 50 or 60 bucks. And they just like, it's just nothing, it's crickets. And then the next day I got home and I checked the tickets and nothing. And I said to my friend, what's going on? And she said, Oh, that's like a month's rent here. Oh wow. And I was like, Oh wow. Cause I was saying, Oh, it's really affordable. It's a full <laughs> day. You're gonna get a lot out of it for fifty dollars. And I was like, Wow. So I think I dropped it to like ten bucks. I just wanted to help them. Yeah. I was like, I just want you guys to come through. But <laughs> it's not about translating that currency, it's also about translating how much that currency is worth locally. Yeah. So there's all these little things, but I think you learn as you go. So yeah. yeah, it has been really fascinating for me to be doing that everywhere else. But the boot camps are cool, um, Steph, just to answer your question a little bit more, because we pick an exotic location to get them out of their comfort zone. So we don't want to teach Melbourne students in Melbourne because they go home to their partner, their housemates, yeah. all their belief systems, they're limiting like, beliefs on themselves, all that kind of stuff we want to kind of pluck them out of their normal life throw them into like some random co-working space in Sri Lanka yeah, right. where they think anything is possible and they can kind of think bigger and yeah and snap out of those old patterns it. so all our designers actually fly I pick the location and then they fly to me rather than me going to Sri Lanka and teaching Sri Lanka. So it's
0: like a career-changing holiday.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's awesome and it's tax-deductible. <laughs> so We love that. <laughs> I'm a big fan of that. <laughs> um, but it's really great because each class, we have people from all around the world and that's yeah. such a beautiful part of the experience that I hadn't factored in. Those friendships are so tight. Yes. Like my WhatsApp groups every day going off. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Awesome. And especially during COVID where you've got like we were getting first-hand updates from what's happening in like Jordan and then what's happening in Tel Aviv and what's happening in, I don't know, Argentina. Yeah. And it was really interesting because it almost cuts through the news cycles and you're getting it straight from people living there. Yeah. So, yeah, it's such a weird time, COVID. It's it such, a weird, such weird time. a weird time. It's It's like really leveling. So, yeah, it's a funny time to run this business, but also a great time to run this business. Now we do it online, so...
0: Okay, it's about halfway through this episode, so it's a good time to take a break and quickly chat to our sponsorship partners, Streamtime and Never Not Creative, without whom we wouldn't be able to do as half as much as we have. I thought I'd ask StreamTime's managing director, Andy Wright, about whether he'd ever thought about teaching. Well, Matt, it is funny that you say that because we've just launched a new online course at Streamtime working in collaboration with Design Assembly over in New Zealand. It's called the Stronger, Better, Happier agency program and it's designed to help you step back take a strong detailed look at your business evaluate the health of your business remind yourself on why you started it in the first place and see how you're doing now versus what you envisioned at the very beginning it's there because we want people to feel happy about where they got to as a business and you can sign up at streamtime.net slash programs slash sbh And if you haven't tried out Streamtime before, make sure you do. You can get a free trial and a 20% discount by going to streamtime.net slash ADR2020. Okay, before we go any further, I think we should probably get to the question because this new format of ADR relies on a question that's asked by the co-host that spans across three different episodes. And you're obviously our first one, and Steph, you're also our first co-host. So Steph, can you tell us a little bit more about what the question is that you wanted answered?
2: Yeah, so it's rolled around what makes a good or a great graphic design teacher. So I thought, forget the job description for a sec and think about how to have more fun in the classroom teaching. So if you're setting up the classroom environment and you're not the only one driving the class, but you're driving the students to do well while setting them up for the industry. So Frankie, my question is, what drives you and how does that mirror in what you do for creatives?
1: Oh, I love that question, Steph. That's (laughs) awesome. I think my thing is about empowering people and especially designers in this instance and giving them the confidence. The confidence is a massive one. It comes up every single time for them to be the best designer they can be. So for me, my job is to kind of really dig through and find why they want to be a designer and what that special source is that each of them have and then double down on that i think giving all of them the same advice is the worst thing you can do 100 percent. yeah that advice of you know put everything in your folio so you can show everything it's like pentagram are going to hire you if you've got a packaging brief if you've got some <laughs> yeah. weird pencil illustrations if you've made an app and programmed it yourself like yes two or three of those might appeal but out of 10 things they're not all going to appeal and it's actually going to weaken your whole folio so like what i teach is really we just start by dreaming and it's like what what do you want to be as a designer and no one's really asked them that before they've kind of said you must do this you must do that here's a jobs board here's how you apply for jobs and you kind of get put in these little boxes and then they get really lost and they're competing with everyone else that's playing at 70 percent, and it's just it feels it feels backwards to me. It just is not the way I think things should be done. I think you should figure out what you're so good at that you lose track of time, that it comes so naturally to you that everyone else is like, whoa, that's amazing. And they're so impressed. And you're like, oh, I just, I just did this. This wasn't even that hard. <laughs> and you find, you find those things and then you just get them to do that. You build an entire folio yeah. around whatever that is. It might be building typefaces from scratch. It might be typesetting, editorial, like we're all totally different in the design industry and that's why I love it. So yeah, that's my thing, yeah, that's empowering so, other people.
0: So when, when this question first came up, the, I guess the thing I was kind of thinking about, that it's probably to both of you, is like, why did you want to become a teacher in the first, and I need to kind of stop there because is teacher the right name to call this? It feels a little bit wrong.
1: I like teacher. You like teacher? I think it kind of covers, yeah, it feels a lot more broad than like educator. Steph, I'm going to let you go
2: first. Uh, Well, I definitely don't want to have my students calling me Miss Foti. (laughs) (laughs) I stop them there, especially first years. Um, Look, I've always wanted to treat the classroom like a lunchtime conversation with activities. Yes, still need to get the design work in. So I steer the lesson, but I want the students to drive the conversation. So bounce off each other, encourage them to give feedback not getting the te- teacher to be talking the whole time, if that's what we're calling it, teacher. So let them hear from someone else other than the teacher. Uh,
0: so so more of a coordinator, like a facilitator?
2: Yeah, I was going to say facilitator. But that even sounds too, I don't know, proper <laughs> 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 Sounds like a train. It sounds intimidating.
1: Yeah, it sounds intimidating, yeah, it I does. think. There's something very pure about teacher. You yeah. can be a teacher in any industry. You can be a teacher in life. Like, I like that. It kind of makes it a lot broader than your specific subject.
0: What about coach?
1: Mm, It sounds like a football team. (laughs) (laughs) Matt, I reckon you'd be a good coach.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So what about, why why did you want to become a teacher?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, I don't think I wanted to become a teacher. I think I accidentally became a teacher. That's totally my story Um, as well. But brother and i are very similar personalities and we have very different skill sets but i would say he's also a very good teacher he's very good at languages runs an organic farm in england which is super random Um, but he can speak loads of languages he's got his master's in economics like he's really smart guy but he's very patient like when i watch him with his son he really will take his time to explain things so you you're not just getting the final answer you're getting why that's the answer yeah and I think that definitely comes from our parents. So I think that we really have that in common with each other. So, yeah, I think the the nurturing and the, like, empowering side mixed with one profession, design, makes you a design teacher. A totally accidentally fell into it.
0: So, um, l-
1: but here we
2: are. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs>
0: let me throw an opposite kind of question to you. Did you have a design teacher that I guess epitomizes what you think a great design teacher is?
1: Oh, I had Nikki Rag at Swimbird. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Nikki, who I love. But when I first thought about this teacher, my instant response was actually my high school graphic design teacher, a guy called Mr. Tompkins, who was mental. He thought he was a Jedi. He was <laughs> completely insane. And I I actually think that's really important because I remember thinking this he wasn't like reading out of a textbook, okay, this is design, and then you go to your next class, this is geography. He embodied it. He yes. was completely crazy. He really meant it, that passion you can't fake, and I think that's so awesome. And, yeah, I have so much respect for Mr. Tompkins. I had him for probably six years during high school, and, um, yeah, favourite teacher by a long shot. He's insane.
2: Love it. Do you think that there is an attribute that teachers should be really looking to turn on in their students? For instance, the biggest drive for me was curiosity.
1: That's funny. When you asked that question, my first response was
2: curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. And then you said it.
1: (laughs) I think that's a really big one. Like I look at look like we get so many applications for the course. I think we turn down seven or eight hundred people for twenty spots. Oh wow. And the biggest thing is that curiosity. Like I can some people have a folio and I can tell they're like, this is it. This is my folio. They're not pushing further. Could this be better? How does this work in the industry? Will people like this? How is it positioned? Who works at this place? I want to know where they are. Where are they going? All those questions, like that energy is what I look for when I interview these guys. It's so important because if they're kind of flatlining, that reserve of energy is not there. Mm. So you can make as many suggestions as you want. It won't be implemented. You need someone that's hungry that really wants it. And I think like Gabby Lord, yes. we love Gabs. Love um, such a good example of this. Like I taught Gabby in two thousand and eleven, probably one of the most curious people there is, yep. like, will constantly push, 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 push. And I just I love that about her so much. It's it's so beautiful to see in a student. And there's just there's nothing more refreshing than just you know, wanting to learn more and wanting to keep going. So I would say curiosity as well.
0: Yeah, it's wonderful. Do you think that being a teacher has made you a better designer?
1: (laughs) I'm actually a horrible designer now, Matt. This is (laughs) hilarious. (laughs) It's kind of embarrassing. Um, Like when I finished uni, I was like, I was okay. Um, You know, I I got a job at Frost. I wasn't doing too bad. And now I'm definitely a creative director, not a designer. And actually Lucy and I were talking about this earlier and I was saying, how funny is it when graduates put on their job title, I'm a creative director. And you're like, a creative director is just experience. It's it's you've developed your eye, that's all it is. You can't be a creative director like a year out of uni. You just don't have that experience of, you know, this is going to the printer, this is broken. Why is that kerning not working? Like all those things, all those mistakes and tweaks and all those things you do throughout your career that builds up your like creative director armor so you know what's going on and now I think I'm a great creative director like my I've got a really good eye and I think I can give really good advice to my students and really push them to be the best they can be but as a designer I am horrendous like (laughs) I I would give myself a six out of ten I would say at this point so (laughs) it did not make me a better designer but I'm not a practicing designer I think that's a difference like most teachers are practicing designers. They're running their own design studio. And I think after Frost, I decided that I love design, but I didn't want to sit at a computer. So yeah. I've always been looking at other avenues within design. So I don't actually call myself a designer anymore. I'm kind of off the hook there.
0: You're a CD. <laughs> Frankie the CD. But
1: most people, yeah, most people I think are better designers because they're teachers, because they're constantly questioned about what they know. Yeah. Um, and I think so, yeah. I think that's
0: right question comes from because I've often brought industry people in and after teaching for a bit they've gone actually I feel like I'm learning more than the students
1: yeah totally I definitely found that back like I was teaching at university 2010 11 12 and 13 so I at that time I was definitely getting a lot from it it was awesome
0: one of the big things that I think comes out of this boot camp is yes they're learning stuff but they're also networking. It seems like you've really nailed it. Like you've nailed the opportunity for them to meet each other and really, I guess, build friendships, as you said, like all around the world. How have you done this? Is there a particular approach you've taken?
1: Yes. So. A big part of them coming on this trip is the friendships they form internationally. Um, And even the online versions, we actually pair them up with people not in their country. So if you're in America, you have an Australian buddy. And the whole point is to create those friendships. Yeah, I don't really like the word networking either. I always just think of friends. Like, we're friends, but I know you through work. So, like, I don't really have a divide between the two. The way I think the boot camps create really strong uh, bonds is through being really vulnerable and i learned this wow. really early on so day 1 class 1 hour 1 um i just kind of say cuz we used to have a show and tell and they'd say this is my work i'm freelancing everything's great da. and then everyone else kind of gets their back up and it's that competitive environment again where and then Which they're like the oh i'm also thing. doing great and i do this, this and this exactly so I realized that pretty early on. And I always start the class with like, this is a safe space. It's us versus the world. You know, there's us 20. I'm going to help you. You can cry. There's points if you cry first. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want you to be really real. Like, I don't want you to hold anything back. What I would hate is for you to go through the whole week pretending you're fine. And on the last day when we're all having beers, you start crying because you're freaking out. (laughs) Like, I want you to freak out now. (laughs) And this is actually so beautiful. Like the amount of times I cry during boot camp, like it's so beautiful. I love these humans yeah. so much, but you know, the first one will start out and say, you know, I'm freelancing, but I feel really lonely. I don't have anyone above me to learn off. I feel really lost. I need a mentor, blah, blah, blah. And then the second one's, you know, pipes up and you can see them all nodding and it's really, really cute. And it creates this bond because they know that they all are looking for something there yes. and that, they have that in common, whereas I think traditional networking events especially in a professional environment, if you are a graduate, you kind of have to like fake it till you make it. Yeah. Um, you know, you're like, I'm freelancing yeah. while you're wearing your pajamas
2: and you're at home <laughs> and you're, you're
1: kind of taught. And I teach this too. Like you do need to kind of fluff it a little bit to kind of don't sound desperate. Mm. Um, but in that environment, I really encourage them to be just super, super honest. And it's really beautiful. I think it's my favorite thing out of the whole boot camp, is just that honesty and, at the end of the bootcamp, I'm everyone's reference. I'm like, I've got your back. Whatever you need. You need an intro. You need me to like talk you up. I am there. I believe in you 100% because I've been holding your hand for the last week and I know everything about you. Let's go. And I, my current reference stat is 100%. So I have never given a reference and they haven't got the job. Oh wow. So because I'm like crying about them. I'm like, oh my God, you have to hire Dan. I love <laughs> Dan. He's brilliant. He's the best person you ever meet in your life. And um and it's true. I literally love them because I've seen their weaknesses and we fix them and their folio is beautiful. Yeah. I can hand on heart say that I'm really proud of them and that they would be a good fit. It's like fit. a family. Like and you're I creating, think that's so good. Yeah, it creating a family. It's ironic that it comes from the design kids. Don't yeah. you think? I just think that's so funny. That took me an hour to come up with that name 13 years ago. And it is. It's a global design family of kids. And I'm the design mom. So, yeah, it's so cute. They all call me design mom. I'm like, I'm not that old. I love now. it. <laughs> so, yeah, vulnerability, Matt, is the answer.
0: Yeah, it's, it's setting up that context, like, You doing that at the very start, saying you require honesty. Yeah. That's brilliant.
1: I think that's huge. I think that should be in every classroom, to be honest. Another really cool thing I saw, I remember attending a graduation show in Newcastle, probably, wow, 2015. There's a guy called Mario there. And Mario's leaving speech to the graduates was like, go out there, get a job, blah, blah, blah. When you don't want that job. Hit up your fellow graduates first. Like, let's support each other. Nice, and it just nice. created this whole like army of graduates in Newcastle going out and like really having each other's back. And I remember thinking, like, that was such a good thing to say to these guys. It would have changed so many of their lives because they're all kind of just helping each other.
2: So you've already given us pretty good advice, Frankie. But the question oh, is thanks, Steph. <laughs> what advice would you give to a new design teacher?
1: I would say figure out who your students are as people figure out their stories and their blockages. Cause you have to help them overcome that. I think, you know, anyone can jump online and learn illustrator like for free on the internet, like yeah. knock yourself out. But if you're going to a university, you are paying for those connections of humans. You're connect, you're paying for the amazing lecturers who are all out in industry and you're paying for your fellow classmates. So you really want to get the most out of that money as a student. So as a lecturer, you need to be facilitating that.
0: Wow. What a way to finish our first episode of this new format. Now, if you want to find out more about Frankie and her boot camps, the easiest way is to go to frankieratford.com. There you can find out about all the many things that Frankie gets up to. To find specifically about the teaching, just go to designersbootcamp.org. We'll make sure there's plenty of links in the show notes as well. So thanks for listening to our first refreshed episode. As always, if you've got any questions or feedback, or maybe you want to be a co-host, you can contact us at hello at ozdesignradio.com. If you liked what you heard, please tell others, leave us a five-star review. Those little stars really help others find the show. Next episode, we're going to be talking to Felix Oppen, a design teacher from Sydney who teaches students to get back to basics on traditional print machines through his award-winning journal, Ligature. Australian Design Radio is produced by me, Matt Leach, with digital advice and general mental support from Braden Towns.